He is unique in so many spectacular ways. His is the most important life that has ever been lived. He is one of a kind. And that's great news for you. Not many lives that were lived 2,000 years ago have an impact on your life, but his does. Christ Jesus lived his life perfectly so that sinners like us could be forgiven. Christ Jesus lived his life with us so that we could live our lives with him here on earth and forever in heaven. Join us as we look at the life of Jesus, following him from his birth, through his ministry, and into the week of his death. Then we are blessed again to witness his glorious resurrection. All that Jesus is and all that he does is for you. Join us to praise our God for the best gift that we've ever received, the life of Jesus. so blessed to have you as our podcast listeners and and it's a blessing to be here uh, with a chance to to start another podcast episode and even a new series today um, a new series um, yeah it is yeah. I'm privileged to have uh, Pastor Hebner sitting in the chair across from me today how are you today I'm fine hi Pastor Hockman good to see you this is most certainly true podcast it what is. a good title because nothing could be better than what we're going to be doing in this series right it's all most certainly true with yeah. the uh, uh, taking a look at the New Testament and the Gospels, right? Is that yeah. our... So we're sitting here at the beginning of kind of a new school year and a new... Um, we're back into the fall schedule, what we would call it, Grace, sure. uh, where Sunday school is starting and Bible study is starting up again. and Our small groups are meeting. Small groups are beginning. Um, so I thought it would be a good thing to... Uh, have a, a a new series here plugged in at, at the beginning of the fall here, and uh, maybe this becomes something that promotes a class that you teach annually, or or perhaps just something that our podcast listeners can tune into and and uh, gain some some insights and some wisdom. So you have for a long time <laughs> taught a, a class called the Roadmaps to Bible Reading, right? So you I've want to take a just time. a little second and talk about your sure. how that works and what yeah, the that was, thoughts uh, are? I've told the story often, so you know, there are podcast listeners probably say, oh, we're all the eyes, we've yeah, heard this There's before. a fast-forward button if, if yeah. you've heard this story before. Yeah. <laughs> it really all began when, as a new pastor, and you know, you're scared to death and you just want to make sure you get through Sunday without looking stupid, but you're you know what you're supposed to do is like, tell people about Jesus and get people into their scriptures and faith grows and reach out. And I mean, that's, but one of the things I discovered when I had finished uh, already three years in ministry in a, in a school setting that now I'm in a parish and a church. So one of the things you do is you contact people who would be, we put this in quote prospects, you know, as uh, potential people who would like to learn more about Jesus, about God, about their relationship with God, about the Bible, whatever it may be. And that's just a big thrill to get them into what we call here our Bible information class, back to the basics. So I did that, and there were a few people who took me up on the invitation, and I scheduled classes. And But after I had done that a couple of times through, I found that there were people who completed the course in our Back to the Basics course, and you've done that in your ministry. We still do that here at Grace, right? And they were asking near the end, what's next? And, you know, dummy me, my response was, well, <laughs> join the church. <laughs> you know, but that's really not what they were asking. It took a little bit for the light bulb to go on. And what they were really asking is, what do we study next? Because they had so much a good, had such a good time. They had so much fun, you know, getting together on a regular basis. And they they now knew that they're connected to God thanks to what Jesus did, and they have a trust that he's their Savior and paid for all their sins, lived and died for them, and 
rose again. They believed the Bible's all true, but they never really had read the Bible. That was so. I thought in the answer to the question, "What's next?" How about we go into what the Bible is and what's in it, and how you can become your own personal Bible reader, and then pick it up and, you know, who was Jeremiah and why did he write what he wrote, and what about Amos and what about the Apostle Paul's letters and, you know, what, when were they written and why and what's the, you know, so that question, what do we study next, was the generation for uh, creating what's known now as Roadmaps to Bible Reading. This was a long, long time ago. I think it was 1985, actually, when I first started teaching. And what I wanted to do was capture uh, an overview of all the Old Testament books 39 books in 17 weeks. And I would, my plan was to do a Wednesday night because we had other things in the church cycle in the, that just that seemed to be the night to do it and run it in, in the fall up to Advent when we'd have Advent evening Wednesday worship service. Then I'd run, I'd finish the series because you can usually do 10, 11, or 12 in the fall and then you can finish it in January, February, and then right away you're into Lent. And so the idea in my mind was people just get used to being here. Wednesday night is sort of church night, you know, and killing two birds with one stone. You get people to learn about the Bible and for their own Bible reading, plus they get in this pattern of... It just happens that the way the church here falls and the way the cycle of ministry goes, that to schedule things on Wednesdays during the Easter season... Late spring just didn't see. There's other things that came up that, you know, people are doing this and that. And the summer is always goofy. So I got 17 in for Old Testament. Then I would, the plan was to do the New Testament the next year and start again in September. So that's really how that happened. And I've, from the original writing, probably edited the course uh, once just to clean out all the messy typos stuff and get it in the computer. <laughs> Did have a computer to start typewriter with. Right, in the start. Right, you write it up with like a <laughs> maybe a graph thing, you know, and that sort of stuff. And um then the next piece was to do any additions, subtractions, and that's that's the evolution of the course. That's where that all started and it's been going ever since. So um it's a real treat and thrill and pleasure. And what we're intending to do now, what you've asked, is let's take a look at not the entire course, of course, but just the New Testament and just the life of Christ. So when I did New Testament for this Roadmaps to Bible Reading course, um, I relied on the God-blessed and, by the grace of God, only <laughs> experience that I had when I was at Michigan Lutheran Seminary, the high school in Saginaw. And part of my role as a dormitory supervisor was also to teach, and I was teaching what they called in their curriculum, ninth grade Bible, which the curriculum was to go through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then the life of Christ, which would be then a harmony of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, putting them together in a way that you'd have a chronological account of the Savior. So having done that for two years, uh, uh, you know, writing out, scripting out the curriculum, I team taught with the president of that high school, Dr. John Lorenz. And um, while 10 years my senior, yet, and we were next door neighbors, and having then teaching a course together, we would study and prepare together. And it was such an incredible blessing for me personally in not only, of course, the knowing the details of how the Bible, what the stories are and what the accounts are, but just, you know, your faith grows and you just, I marveled at his knowledge and his insights and his ability, he has this unique ability God gave to Dr. Lorenz, uh, not only sort of forward-mindedness, but this ability to organize and capture how things, it's just fascinating. And applied to the scripture readings, it was just fun to work and study with him. So that when I got to the New Testament course, um, I start off in Roadmaps Bible reading 
not by going through book by book in sequence, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then I wait until I get to Acts, and then we look at the books of the New Testament chronologically, grouping the letters as they fit. But the life of Christ is still based on that course that I had taught with Dr. Renz and Saginaw on organizing Jesus' life and death and resurrection into these five units. Right. And that's one of the things that, that really struck me as 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 interesting, and I thought <laughs> I wanted to share that with my podcast listeners. Sure. Our podcast listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe let's just spell out where, where we're going. We're going to do five lessons or five, five episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, today we're going to talk early ministry, and early, then it'll go to... Early years. Yeah, it's early years. Then it'll go to uh, the Nazareth and early Judean ministry. Yeah. It'll be next time. Capernaum ministry is the time after that. Then his travel ministry, we'll, right. we'll talk about what that means and uh-huh. and why we chose that title. And then the final ministry yeah, would be right. Holy, Holy Week, Week lead up to uh, his death and resurrection. Right, um, right. That's what so I, I, I'm I looking forward to just getting to, to chat about that outline <laughs> and how, um, you know, I think the average Bible reader can identify a particular, the feeding of the 5,000. Oh, yeah, yeah. But where where does that fall yeah, and beginning where of year exactly three, was right? he? It's kind of nice to know. And, yeah. and, and how does that flavor <laughs> what's happening, I thought, would be something that would enrich the experience of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of those who, who get a chance to listen. Yeah. So we'll throw out some Bible references here and there and mm-hmm. um, encourage you, if you want to hit pause and, and read through that section or find something that we're chatting about and... Mm-hmm. and uh, and take a look at that, then you resume and mm-hmm. and listen to the rest of it. Well, maybe in reference to that outline, um, the early years section is everything that the Gospels would give us leading up in the New Testament, leading up to the birth of, and the birth of Christ. I mean that. So then when we have those middle three parts of the five part of Jesus' life and ministry, the Nazareth, Capernaum, travel ministry, that's centered around where we would assume he had his headquarters. So the way I think about it in a little simplistically is perhaps that his hometown of Nazareth was like his headquarters in the first year, although he did take an opportunity to be down south. Now, this is queuing in our podcasters into you have to know a little bit about and get your Bible or an atlas or look it up online, people would do nowadays, and picture the Holy Land, I always call it a doorstop up on end, you know, where it's narrow on top along the Mediterranean Sea and gets a little wider. And the top chunk is called Galilee, and the middle chunk is called Samaria, and the lower chunk is called Judea. And his hometown is in the up north chunk of Galilee. And when we look at the Gospels all together, all four, he begins his ministry, and there's some work in down south Judea, but then he's up north primarily, but he'll pop down south again, back to the Jerusalem area in Judea and back. But we kind of look at headquarters Nazareth, and then that ends with that famous story in Luke 4 where he's in his hometown, and he's like the guest speaker for the day in the synagogue and reads from Isaiah and says it's about the coming Messiah, and he rolls up the scroll and looks at everybody and says, well, this passage is about me. This you know? is me. <laughs> and then they're going, no, that can't be. And so there's that unusual but powerful incident of they're going to throw him off a cliff, you know, and he goes right through the crowd. Right. And so then headquarters, he relocates to Capernaum. So that's like year two of his ministry. Now, there's some questions some people would raise up about dating, but this is just rough. And I like to think it's a little cleaner for me in my mind that um, – we we get that as a year two, and he does he does go out from Capernaum, you know, out to the villages nearby and other places on the road, like several times. I'll talk about later in that episode. And then the third year of his ministry, he seems to be always on the road. Yeah, he touches base back to his old Capernaum headquarters, but he seems to be always on the move, at least the first six months. And then he winds down in a territory which would be on the east side of the Jordan River across from Jerusalem, primarily the last six months in this last intense training of disciples' time, and then makes his way toward Jerusalem. Does he pop into Jerusalem once in a while during that? Of course, but eventually now we're moving there, and he's going to suffer and die. And then the fifth part we'll talk about, as you mentioned, is Holy Week. So that's kind of 
a little bit more to it. So it's like they're leading up to his birth, and then it's going to be his first, second, and third year of ministry, and then Holy Week. That's where that goes. And maybe it's usually when I start the course, it might be helpful too, just for podcasters, and I'm not going to take the whole podcast. We can go, you know, for an hour more and easily, but you just have to pause for a second and think about this. What we're doing is looking at, in these podcasts now, we're looking at the life of Christ in a chronological way. But we don't want to do that impassively, like, oh, we're going to see how this all fits, and that's really nice, and maybe some geographic comments where he is and when. But this is this is our Savior. This is our God who didn't have to, but said, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna still have sinners live with me. He could have told Adam and Eve, forget it, you know. To heck with you, right? Or well actually to hell with you. I, I could actually say that, right? And it wouldn't be using a, a vulgar term in this it it would be actually what they deserved. But no, I'm I'm going to find a way that you rotten eggs can still be close to me. That that's just that's just unbelievable. That's just well, we believe it, but you know, it's just incredible that God right. would say that and do that. And he did. So that promise is made. And the Old Testament unfolds it, and now we get to the New Testament when the promises all come true. Right. And who is it? It's in. It's it's not just like, well, I'm going to wave my, you know, majestic, almighty hand, and suck you into closeness with me in that paradise. No, I I gotta. I can't just have sinners just with me. That you're too dirty. I don't allow that. Not even a speck. Not even a little bit of dust on you. I don't know. I you can't, not you can't be with me. So you you actually have to be holy if you're going to be with me. You can't otherwise. And on top of that, if you're not, even a little boo boo, then you're going to have to pay for it. And the payment is not a good crisp ten dollar bill. It's not walking around the block ten times saying the Lord's prayer. It's not standing on your head, and reciting the Nicene Creed in Greek. It's no, the payment is hell. It's you know separation from me. So this is not a little drop. This is not a little minor thing when we think about the New Testament and the life of Christ. This is God's ultimate only answer to how in the world are we going to end up being with God when we don't deserve when we really deserve hell. What this is the answer. This is God's plan unfolded, promises fulfilled. This is our Savior Jesus. This is what this yeah, is. That's what makes the dates and <laughs> maps and chronologies and all of that significant yeah. because it's pointing forward to yeah. your salvation and mine. So how does God going to tell the story? Well, you know, it happens historically, but then he causes in his own wisdom writers to write the very thoughts and words. Now, this is not like they're sitting on their desk one day and their hand starts to go up in the air and they start writing, you know, but he captures what people knew and discovered in research, plus in filling in with information they did not know, and he breathes into them the thoughts and with the doctrine of verbal inspiration. And I am convinced that Matthew is the first of the ones to record this in the early 50s AD, and his style of writing is unique. He's totally Jewish. He was this tax collector guy as a second name, Levi, his Greek name, Matthew and uh, was part of the 12, and he could see this all unfold, and then stuff he didn't know, he would, God would breathe into him. And, but he's, he's Jewish, and he's writing to Jewish people who don't think that Jesus is the Messiah and killed him, and he's going to prove, yes, he really is. Right. And so he has, has a flavor and a style that is very Hebraistic. It, it, there's there's like when there's parables being told or miracles there's groups of three or five or ten or seven you know this is he's not necessarily as chronological as Mark and Luke but he groups things together in ways that are fit the Hebrew mind and he quotes the Old Testament yeah. more than any other New Testament uh, that jumps writer. right off the page as you yeah. see just like the prophet said and <laughs> yeah. here's where and, yeah like 50 uh, times I mean he's so there is that there's a stateliness to Matthew's gospel. Mark, I believe, is written in the early sixties AD. He had a close relationship with the apostle Peter. And um there's a certain Petrine Peter like flavor in that we all 
know about Peter's character and, you know, the guy who would leap before he looks and, you know, he's kind of impetuous and he's outspoken and, you know, this rough and tumble guy will pull up my sword and I'm going to defend you, Lord, and cuts off the servant's ear and all, you know, I'm going to tell me to walk on water. I'll get out of the way. You know, Peter is, I'll never deny you. You know, it's just always, it's Peter-like. And sure enough, Mark's gospel has that, it, he doesn't tell every story, but the ones he tells, there's details and it's dramatic, you know, and he's really demonstrating in, in a culture in Rome where, you know, pfft, you Christians are are worshiping some kind of bugaboo. You're, you know, no, this Jesus of that is God. He's God in action, and you can see that in Mark's gospel. And Luke, I and think, this is, is this is John Mark, right? John so we Mark, just got yeah. done doing Acts and got yeah. a chance to meet Mark. We did, uh, who was on the first missionary journey <laughs> and had and that falling out with Paul, mm-hmm. and then finally, as Paul is in Rome um, in prison, he calls for. For Mark they, and they reconcile they and he and calls he obviously him a, spent a valuable helper. So mm-hmm. just maybe put it on the. Could you put it on that timeline? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this gospel written like from Rome? Right, when, that's what I believe. Yeah, John is, so, is when John so, Mark is there with yeah, Paul. So so Paul would be in Rome like sixty to sixty two A.D. in that house arrest. He's out for a couple years, and now you're back under the Neronian persecutions and and prison sixty four to sixty eight ish A.D. And then Peter is there too, and they both die in the Neronian persecutions. And that's where I believe Mark is, while he's called on by Paul to come visit in prison, but he also with having a, spent you know, a good deal of time with Peter in his missionary, Peter's missionary journeys, now he's also intersecting. And I believe that's where Mark can then uh, write from Rome. I believe that's what happens. And you know, we're six, the 60s AD and Luke fits that time frame too, though, because Luke, as a companion of Paul, is writing, you know, 62 to 63, for in there, about uh, almost concurrently, I th- this is my opinion, with Mark. But he's got a distinct Pauline flavor, a very Paul-like flavor. He's also a physician, so he's also then paying more attention to chronology than the other ones. And he has an eye for the down and out, like a physician, you know, a caring heart, you know, the kids, the widows, the poor, the sick, you know, that you see that come out in Luke's gospel more than the others. And um, seems to have a flavor for the outcast too, right? Because himself being a Gentile and um, having that appreciation of outsiders who are welcomed in. So definitely you can see him, you can see him highlight the the Savior's interactions with the downtrodden. So whereas Matthew is this, he is the Messiah, the true King of Kings, and Mark is this hard charging. He's the Son of God in action, action, action. Luke is so winsome. He's the Savior of all, of all, not just Jewish people, not just adults, you know. But and then there's the Christmas story. You know, that's all as Luke, right? John is different. The first three we call synoptic. That's Greek for having the same viewpoint, and. Um, John looks, It's I always talk about like a, there's a car accident outside on the corner you hear and there's three people on one side of the street who witness it and there's one person on the other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are on one side of the street looking at not the accident but the life of Christ and John's on the other side of the street and it's the same Savior, the same, you know, but <clears throat> completely different format and purpose and written much later too, 9095 A.D., another generation after the others and he's the companion of jesus as a disciple and very simple language but as simple as it is that's how deep it is theologically um soaring like an eagle so in art in history they pick up on a revelation 4 kind of imagery and matthew's pictured in stained glass windows and in art as a winged man and mark as a winged lion and luke as a winged bull the sacrificial bull for all and John as an eagle. And that's just part of art that you have associate with it and it picks up on their characteristics. But it's John, while he doesn't tell all the stories like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, many times there's unique material in each of those, but he fills us in on things that we would not have had. And especially it has to do with his ministry around when he goes back down south to Jerusalem in the Judea area. And that then helps us peg the timing because John is the one who mentions Passovers, 
And that's where we get this dating of Jesus' three-year ministry. If we didn't have John's gospel, it would look to us like his ministry lasts about a year and a half. But it's John who gets us early on into saying, no, there's here's a Passover date. Oh, okay. Well, then you could kind of, that's always a springtime festival. The other stories and then you could fit him in, yep. and then it, then it works nicely. So he starts out early on in his minute, Jesus, you know, public minister with a Passover, and then there's a year, then there's another Passover or some springtime festival. We believe it is. Some argue that there might be a fall, but I think there's too much going on. And then there's another one, and then finally the last year of his ministry, and then he dies on Passover. You know, so there's a total of four, beginning after year one, after year two, after three. It's always kind of an interesting uh, background, so people are getting it. So then we talk about, and this doesn't need to be Another fascinating thing I think about the Gospels, when you put them all together, you can look at them individually and you can see Mark and Luke are more on the chronological and they have these parts of the early years and then the the uh, first year of Nazareth headquarters and then the Capernaum and the travel ministry and finally Holy Week. They all talk about Holy Week, all four. And John has the most material because you get that upper room and he's talking with the disciples, you know. Yeah, he's and, oh, yeah. six chapters chapter, in chapter the Chapter 13, upper room, 14, right? yeah. So fully, almost 48%, almost half of John's gospel is Holy Week. The, the upper room and dying on the cross, you know, Gethsemane cross and then the resurrection. You know, that that starts in chapter 13 and goes all the way through chapter 21. So that's that's a big chunk of it. But you take the other ones and they'll have, you know, 20 five percent a little bit more 28 percent or so so that when we look at all of them together about 33 percent of the gospels are a holy week and the synoptics are more like combined about 28 percent of their total writing john would be about 50 but you put them all together that's that tells you a little bit what's most important here it's not you know what happened when he was six years old or how what grade did he get you know uh, how did he, you know, how many home runs did he hit when he came to the plate? Which obviously I always used to think as a kid he probably hit a home run every time up because he's the son of God, you know. So, But um, no, what counts is his perfect life, his message of forgiven sins, and then carrying out with his death and resurrection. And that's reflected in the total amount of material. So having said all that, then we can take a look maybe at the yeah. Point of the podcast of the early years. We're going to be approaching this, and maybe just to put the term out there, a harmony of the Gospels. There you go. If you've ever seen a yeah. book that says the harmony of the Gospels, that's not trying to make the Gospels sound good together, but that is, <laughs> that's, that's, we, we piece them all together and put the stories that, that are side by side. Usually they're chronological. That's right. Um, and how does this all fit together? Um, we even do some of the, sometimes the Lenten reading is, is a harmony of the gospel. That is right. right. That it's is not correct. Coming directly out of one of the gospels, but rather it's a we, piecing together and telling the entirety yeah. of the story. Over the last four or five years, we've done that now on Palm Sunday, which we now call Passion Sunday, because historically in the church here, that entrance into Jerusalem um, is the first Sunday in Advent. It's like Christ the King, not the end of the year, but the beginning of a new year. Is that's what that first Sunday in Advent is supposed to be, and then. That means that instead of reading the Palm Sunday Gospels, on Palm Sunday we shift that into Passion Sunday, and one year we'll read through the Passion, just what you talked about, in Matthew only, and then the next year Mark, and the next year Luke. But when we do midweek worship, then we combine Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and put them all together in a harmony of the Passion. So very good. So in some ways we're going to be doing harmony uh, for the next five weeks here. That's right. So That's right. So to start off, the way we do that, um, in our roadmaps class, and I guess in the podcast, I'll just kind of walk through the outline if you're yeah. okay with that. The Gospels account of Jesus' early years, I mean, we have to start in the beginning, and it's Luke primarily who gives us the material, and there's some stuff from Matthew. So what we have in Luke is the announcement first of the birth of John the Baptist, and then we have the announcement to Mary that she is going to be the mother of the Son of God, and then Mary and Elizabeth, uh, John the Baptist's mother, intersect. Then you have the birth of Christ uh, after we have the John the Baptist birth. You know, John the Baptist is born about six months ahead of time. So th there is a little bit of a, that's what happens in these early years. So angels announcing to Zechariah and to Mary. 
And Matthew is the one who tells us that Joseph gets an angelic visitor too and is told uh, the woman to whom you're engaged is going to have a baby. So that oh. I always loved uh, Luther's quote that that was the biggest miracle of Christmas that Joseph accepted the, <laughs> the <laughs> that message and believed yeah. uh, what the angel told him yeah. about Mary and about that's the baby that's in her good womb. Luther humor because he would also be the one who would say it's a nice challenge to I mean we look through the rest of the outline here but what really is the biggest miracle is it that a virgin gave birth or is it that God took on flesh. And it's the latter. Yep. It's, it's a bigger deal that God takes on flesh to live with us. But it's still a miracle for... You know, it, it's interesting to me that um, with two of these angelic announcements, and then eventually, as the story unfolds, Mary is going to um, visit with her relative Elizabeth, and then she breaks into song. So in Luke chapter 1, you have what we in Latin call the Magnificat, because that's the first words in Latin, my soul praises the Lord. Uh, and then when you have in that chapter later on, uh, Elizabeth will give birth to John the Baptist, and then John's father, Zechariah, bursts into song. And uh, we call that the Benedictus. And... Uh, those songs have become a part of Christian worship and are often used at special times and special services in the church here. It's kind of cool how that plays out, those very famous songs. And I don't know what you're expecting, Pastor Hockman, if we talk any more details or fun things about that. You know, uh, it's it, there are so many different, interesting, we could spend hours and hours just talking about just the angelic visit to Zechariah and stuff, but I don't know if we need to go deep. People can yeah. read this on their own in Luke chapter 1, and then you go back to Matthew chapter 1 and read if you want to do it that way. You certainly, as a podcaster listener, are free to pick up Matthew and read through it or pick up Mark and read through it, and that's, I often tell people you want to find the story of Christ, well, read through Mark, you know, or pick it up John's gospel and read through but um, if you want to follow this chronologically like we are, this would be read through Luke chapter 1 and 2 and go back and catch Matthew chapter 1. Right. You had mentioned uh, the maps and maybe get yourself a map. Yeah. Um, you know, Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth up <laughs> north. and uh, because it's about, Yeah, it's about 62 miles as a crow flies from Nazareth down south. But, you know, you're, this is hill country. So what I've done in the past for people young or old, to think about geography, we go back to the, my term of neology of the doorstep up on end, and on the west coast is the Mediterranean Sea, and on the east side is this Sea of Galilee with a little, like a little balloon, with its string hanging down attached to a banana on the bottom, the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, into the Dead Sea. Well, in between the doorstep, uh, the land, actually, the, the topography from the sea level, Mediterranean, rises rather remarkably, to the center of this doorstop so that there's a spiny ridge of hills from top to bottom, from the north all the way down through the south. So then it drops off dramatically down to the Jordan River Valley and the Dead Sea so that if you're on the hills up north and you go down to the Sea of Galilee, that's 800 feet. The water is 800 feet below sea level. And the Dead Sea is over 1,200 feet, almost 1,300 feet below sea level. So the, you go up from the Mediterranean to the high point of the spiny ridge, and down south it's Jerusalem, and then you drop off, and you're going downhill like big time. And also, the, the not the temperature, but like the moisture stuff changes because, you know, water off the sea comes up and it drops its water, and then they pass over so that when you go down the other side, especially down south in the Judea area, it's dry. And you have this, like the Badlands, <laughs> heading to the Dead Sea. It's a remarkable drop. So people typically aren't going to go, if, if Mary and Joseph are supposed to go to their ancestral home, which is six miles south of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, in this hill country, um, you don't travel down the spiny ridge. You don't like go up a hill and down a hill and up a hill and up and down a mountain. And, you know, you just don't do that. 
besides, on top of that, the people who lived in the middle, they considered to be icky. And you don't want to talk to them because they're Samaritans, they're half-breeds. And Jewish people in those days looked down their nose, sadly, looked down their noses. So you have to cut to the east from Nazareth and a little south to get across the Jordan River. Then you go down the east side of the Jordan, and then you cut back across to get to across the Jordan River to Jericho, and from there you go uphill to Jerusalem. The run from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea is about 50 miles, a little less, and to get from the Jordan up to Jerusalem is about 15 miles, 15, 20 miles uphill. So Mary and Joseph, once they're going to have the birth take place, are going to have to so now we're talking not 62, is but probably 80 miles-ish. And what do you walk in a day? You know, you could probably, back then they're walking a lot, right? 20 miles. So I always think about four days they're going to take to get to Jerusalem, roughly. So it's interesting to kind of fit our way into this. Right. These geography. things that you just always know, but yeah. what does that actually look like? Yeah, from the bottom down south border to the top border, of this doorstop is about 145. I always think like, you know, it's a Milwaukee to Green Bay and from Milwaukee to, well, this Madison would be too far from Milwaukee to like Watertown from the, you know, it's not that big a geog- geographical chunk, the Holy Land. But um, it, th- these, uh, these unfold rather quickly in your podcast reading, if you'd like. And, you know, the birth of John the Baptist takes place. This is all this miraculous, cool stuff. And the birth of Christ takes our breath away and we celebrate at Christmas. That's the Luke 2 account. John doesn't refer to it. He just mentions in the beginning was the word. You know, he starts off and jumps into Jesus' ministry. Mark pretty much does the same. He gets us right into uh, Jesus' beginning ministry. But And Matthew will have the account of Jesus' birth, uh, only in the sense of the angel announcing to Joseph. It's right. Luke who gives us the actual Christmas story. And then it, Luke also then, who has shortly after the birth of Christ, it is part of the Jewish culture and Israelite law that you have to have the baby circumcised and named at day eight, and then also presented at day 40, and that's when they engage Simeon and Anna in the temple. And Simeon too sings a song that he's I can I can go to heaven now. And on the assumption, by the way, according to my Bible story books when I'm a little kid, that this is an old dude. Because Anna, yeah. Anna was old. Anna was old, Simeon. We know we that. Know. She's either she's a widow for eighty four years or she's actually eighty four years old, depending how you read the Greek. But that never tells us Simeon's age. It just says that he would see the Christ before he dies, and we just assume that he's an old. And then guy. he says he's ready to. I mean, he could have been go home because yeah. now the he could have been thirty-eight. Been so the Bible story drawings of him with his white beard and his really super old dude could have been the case, but it didn't necessarily have to be. It's the same thing. Like now, it's just pieced together in these early years. You know, you have uh, the wise men are going to show up. Well. You know, how do you figure this out? The three wise men, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, sing it, right? We three kings of Orient are not, right? You know, there's always three wise men, right? Why? Because of the three gifts, gold, frankincense. We don't know if it was three. We don't know if they were kings. We're not sure if they're from the Orient. (laughs) They got the plural correct. There's more than one. (laughs) Well, Orient in the sense of East, that would be accurate because they're probably Babylon. If we're going to use real general. Yeah, if you're talking about the Orient as the Far East, well, no. Near East. Yeah, so, but kings, um, gifts for a king, but, you know, astronomers, scientists, right. you know, and... Um, we always put three because there were three gifts. Well, there were, it's plural. Right, the it's plural, plural, so we know there's two. Yeah. And we know there, there's three it, gifts. There could have been four or five of these right. guys. So that's all speculation and it's good. <laughs> and, and... Um, you know, when you set up your crash in your house and you have the little lammy, you know, and the you have to have a cow probably and some goats or whatever, and you have the, the manger and you have Mary and Joseph and the little baby and and you have some straw or whatever, you know. But the wise men you should put on the other side of the living room because yep. they're not there yet. Yep. 
<laughs> the Weissmans are always late they, for Christmas. They show up to a house, <laughs> yeah. right? Not to a stable. Ah, <laughs> oh, those Weissmans, you know, they're late. <laughs> you know, so yeah, um, they Herod is going to kill babies under two. He's going to hedge his bets. He's not going to find out and figure out, oh, this birth probably took place two years ago. So I, no, he's going to like probably, if the baby is roughly a year to a year and a couple months, he's going to hedge his best and kill babies two and under. You know, so, so when the wise men show up, I'm always thinking it's about at least a year in. It takes a while to travel anyway by camel or whatever they're using to get there from Babylon. You got to go up the Tigris Euphrates and you got to go down through what is now modern day Syria and Lebanon. What's your hunch on why they stay down south? Because they came for the census, baby's born. Yeah. Why don't they head back up? Well, you have the normal uh, recovery. Like recovery you know? time, they've got to stay at least 40 days because... Yeah to be at the temple. And by then, I would assume they've been able to connect with relatives and stay. And that's really a good question. Could Joseph ply his trade of carpentry for a while there? And, you know, you just traveling around He's with a remotely, newborn yeah. is, <laughs> is a little tricky, you know. And even if it's just like several months, six months to seven months, I don't know if I'd be donkey riding or want to walk. Right, you know, with a newborn. I mean, you drive from Alaska with your wife being pregnant, but would you want to go with a newborn? You know, that's the long haul. I don't know. We came with a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. But interesting how God yeah. uses that, whatever the rationale was, um, that they stay local have, yeah. and then... Herod's plot and we have to have that up, and it's a fulfillment of prophecy too right. out of Hosea that they're going to end up in Egypt right then they flee it's easy to down to Egypt to, is always, that's always been one of the examples I use like if you were just looking at the Old Testament and gonna say now you finish the story like you've got all these prophecies that he's from Nazareth <laughs> and from Bethlehem and from Egypt and what is that how, how do we do that and then the reality comes in Christ <laughs> and you see all of those promises yeah. perfectly fulfilled um, yeah. and, and God God connects the dots for us even and the crying of Rachel and her descendants you know because Rachel died at Bethlehem right Jacob's favorite wife and here's this weeping women as their children are killed I mean how hor I mean we just that's how horrible that must have been, you know, that the slaughter, the evil of this Herod, who was quite an administrator in building up the structure around the temple in Jerusalem and winning the favor of the Jewish people, but yet he was ruthless and uh, was not afraid to even, afraid, not even worried about killing his own kid if he thought there was a threat to his throne. So, right. But yeah, that, uh, of course, Again, many of the podcast listeners would know this too, but this is the spot where I always tell my one of my favorite, all-time favorite Sunday school stories. And I've told you this one too about, this is a true story. It's from Grace Church. And I know who the Sunday school teacher is. She's not teaching anymore, but she said, I got to tell you this cool thing happened. She was teaching the Sunday school lesson of the flight to Egypt, you know, what we have here. And she then asked in a review for the kids to draw what they would think of, right? As one of our Grace kids drew an airplane with three adults and a baby in it. The flight to Egypt <laughs> with an airplane, right? And she said, well, the flight to Egypt, that's pretty cute with an airplane. You know, I married Joseph. Who's the other adult? Well, that's Pontius the pilot. <laughs> That's a true story. I just every time I think of that, it's just a <laughs> that's one of my favorite of all time. How creative! <laughs> I can still see that Sunday school teacher coming back upstairs. And I got to tell you this one, Pastor. I got to tell you this one. And she was just beaming. <laughs> uh, yeah, but how God would do that, you know, for the sake of out of Israel, I've called my son. You know, and that's all in Hosea, which is. When you think about that, you know, 800 years before it happened, and then it happens. And then they get back, and 
um, Herod's son Archelaus is on the reigning area, and it seems like safe enough to come back. But now it's time to go to our hometown, Nazareth. So why they stayed there longer for several months, I don't know. I don't. The Bible doesn't tell us. So if the Bible doesn't say, I don't. There. Yeah. No. God gave him a reason to be there. He wanted uh, yeah. that interaction with the with the wise men. The, they the would inter- naturally come to the capital city. Yeah, and the um, we finish up by a reference to the genealogy because if you're if you're reading in Matthew and Luke, you know you get a little bit at the end of two now. You know, going to mention what John's going to do, but it it really starts off in chapter three. But first in Luke, you have the genealogy of Jesus. And then you have one in Matthew chapter one. He starts off his gospel that way. Yep. But they're and different. And if you compare they're those, they're different. different. Yeah. 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 For Matthew's purpose, he wants to demonstrate, as we mentioned earlier, that Jesus is indeed the promised descendant Jewish king of Abraham and his. So he starts with Abraham, the father of the Jewish race, right? The Israelites. And right. traces and there from it the down. start he he's exposing this is yeah y- you you Jewish people who accept Abraham I'm going to connect Jesus I'm to Abraham there. yeah <laughs> and then he tracks it down through you get to King David and then Solomon right and then out's the kings and eventually there are no kings after the Babylonian captivity but the generations continue to Joseph so this is Jesus' royal line. Joseph is not his biological father. Mary is his biological mother, but he has no biological father. He's the son of God. But this is his royal line. He is by right on the throne of David, which is meaning king of kings, lord of lords, the Messiah. He is not a physical king of a territory or a land. He is the king of kings, our king of everyone. He is, but the royal promised kingly descendant of David. Luke, on the other hand, goes the other way around and starts with Mary, but doesn't name it. It's Jesus, and then it's the son, so it was thought of Joseph. If you look at it in English, it says, so it was thought, right? I don't have my Bible. Do you have your Bible open? I do. Yeah. So in in Luke chapter 3, it'll use language like that, right? Yep. Just so he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. So what you're what that's an indication in the Greek language is this is not the royal line of Joseph. They're both descended from David, Joseph and Mary. This is the bloodline of Mary, also descended from David, but a different track out of David. But then going back the other way. So then it tracks from Mary really to her ancestors to King David. And then it intersects with the Abraham account and all the way back to Adam and Eve. So Luke is there saying, this is the savior of all people, because all people are descended from Adam of and Eve. Of the people who started from Adam and right, Eve. Right, right. And it also is his bloodline. Matthew is the royal line. Luke is the bloodline. He really is human. He is fully human, just like we are, but he's also God. So, And, and he's the savior for everybody. So there's a different purpose. Um, I don't have my Bible open in front of me, but I do believe that in 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 Matthew, if you track this, it's like fourteen he has segments out three, three sec- sections of yeah. fourteen, right? And then in yeah. Luke, it's twenty one. There's always a multiple of seven. Which was I'm off microphone when I'm grabbing my. Which was pretty now. common in genealogies that they would do groupings. I don't know about from, that. From time to time, they would. Um, I do know skip biblically though it would be sevens, and yeah, the skipping part is common, and also the Greek and Hebrew terminology for father can be wider than right. can be grandpa or grand great grandfather and stuff. But the interesting thing to me is the Hebraic style of. The sevens. There's in Matthew, we have 14 and 14 and 14. And in Luke, I got to go back to where I am there. It is 21, 21, 14. That's that Abraham chunk. And then 21. But there's always multiples of seven. 
and seven is that God number that we know throughout Scripture, God from Old Testament through people, to yeah. Revelation. God intersecting with people, the holy triune God with the earth, four winds, four corners of the earth, four directions. Four is earth, three is God. God intersecting and loving people is seven. Which makes good sense when we're talking about the <laughs> genealogy of the God-man, yeah. right? He wouldn't have to do have done that, but I think it's pretty cool that there's 14, 14, 14 in Matthew, 21, 21, 14, and 21 in Luke. There, there is, it's there for a reason in those numberings, so that's pretty cool. But um, So that's what we're going to talk about, I guess, if you want to have this first chunk of we're talking about Life of Christ, early years, and people can enjoy podcast readers to do more particular uh, details, and if anybody, of course, has questions of things from the wise men to Jesus' childhood, which is beautifully depicted in our north window, which yeah. also needs a restoration when we build the Broadway building. But um, put that little plug in there, right? And John the Baptist ministry we include in this chunk, too. So we see John, the forerunner. That That's not insignificant, that he's pointing, this is the one, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we see John's ministry in all four God, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you're a podcast listener and want to just peel around in your Bible, then for John you can compare how each of the Bible writers talks about the Baptist ministry. So that's pretty cool too. I find it fascinating that the Old Testament ends with the announcement of you know the coming Elijah, and then the the Gospels. I think God, uh, Mark specifically talks about how John the Baptist is this the, yeah. Elijah yeah. who is was foretold and has come, yeah. and they bookend the intertestamental yeah. period. And well, Ma- Malachi four has both. It's got the son right. of righteousness, you know, the Savior. Plus, he's also got the forerunner. It's all in chapter four. It says the end of the old. You're right. I love that too. And then you start out the New Testament with there he is, the forerunner and the Christ. Remember what we were talking about <laughs> four hundred and twenty years ago? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> if you were paying attention, <laughs> yeah. That's another thing that is fascinating, and our podcast listeners can do their own reading and just to have a little bit of flavor on the intertestamental history. That stuff that goes on between Malachi and the New Testament. That's a whole nother podcast of something we could talk about maybe another series yeah maybe <laughs> yeah but what we do know is that uh, as we proceed into the life of christ it really is all for our eternal benefit so god who in love wouldn't have to have done this but sent his son to be our savior and now we've we've begun with at least all these promises fulfilled in the early years and we know promises this is of his love fulfilled because it's most certainly, certainly true, true. for listening we'd love to share more about god's love with you check us out at www.gracedowntown.org there you'll find worship times pastor's contact information and a lot about our ministry in and to downtown milwaukee we hope to connect you to the grace of god again soon